It's Thursday, the 2nd of November, and you're listening to the Women's Football Talk podcast. Well, Brad, we have plenty to talk about this week. We had the UEFA Nations League take place, the Ballon d'Or ceremony on Monday, and the return of club football this weekend. And I, for one, am excited for this podcast. Well, you're excited, are you? <laughs> Jesus. Yes. It's an amazing reaction. Oh, that's nice. I'm sure you enjoy talking to me most of these weeks. Like, I want to be happy for the return of club football, but then I remember it's Aston Villa that on my team and we're playing Chelsea. So maybe that'll take a bit of a longer international break. But then I remember England start losing now as well. So it's all a bit all over the place. But like if we're going for Halloween themes, I know we're after that now, <laughs> two days out from this, even though we are recording this on the Wednesday after. Frightening defensive showing from England in, in that case. Yeah. But, but yeah, the international break is the international break. I'm glad it's over, but then... Like this was a, a fun one. Yeah, plenty of um, surprises for England and talking points. So in the first game that they played uh, on Friday, was it again now? 27th? Yes. Yeah. Friday uh, in Leicester, yeah. Yeah, managed to pick up a 1-0 win. Uh, Lauren Hemke in the only goal of that game, uh, moving England on to six points. But it wasn't to be... Uh, all glossy uh, yesterday in Belgium as they ended up losing 3-2 uh, to Belgium and it is now a case of must-win games when it comes to the December international break. Yeah, those matches just became massive if we want a Team GB in Paris next year. Like this match in particular, it was a rather unfortunate way to end up losing it because... I, for one, didn't think we were terrible. I just think defensively the balance was off. As we saw, the Belgium counter-attacks, they were clinical more than not, if anything, from that. But this game's going to be highlighted for the missed chances that we had. But how this team sets up defensively is a bit of an issue at the moment. Oh, 100% agree with you. There's a lot for Serena Wiegmann to get her head around with how this England team uh, is set up at the minute. And like you say, counter-attacking-wise, they create a lot of chances and will always do that with uh, the players that they have at their dispersal. But when it comes to defensively and getting on uh, outdone on the counter-attack, there's a lot of oh, um, worries now about this England side. I mean, for me in this game, Lucy Bronze, while she did get the goal, she leaves that right-hand side a bit overexposed and it's like, it's a worry there for me. Yeah, like I'm not a manager, I'm not a coaching expert, I'm not really great with tactics either, I just have to go off what I see. And Lucy Bronze, I thought, was one of the positives of this match. When she went forward, it gave us another option. But of course when you leave yourself open like that, it's always going to be a bit of an issue. And we're having Kira Walsh go forward as well. You know, always try and get in behind at times to 
that would break through Belgium. That then mm-hmm. leaves us open defensively because there's then no one in front of the defence. And yeah. that showed. Again, Belgium cut us open. Definitely. I mean, um, it's just one of them things you like. If it's obvious to the bog standard viewer like us and... Uh, I don't want to start calling myself a casual fan. <laughs> you know what I mean? But, yeah, I've watched enough not, England games to think that I know what I'm, I at least know something. Yeah, I mean, we're not, um, like you say, fully blown experts and we're not getting paid for to, for our decisions and talking points here at this point in time. <laughs> uh, but when it's that obvious to us, too, it's going to be obvious to everyone and it should be obvious to uh, Serena Veeam and that she needs to address and fix it. Uh, as quickly as possible um, because against the bigger teams it could come back and haunt them a lot worse than what it did I mean yes England uh, conceded three goals but what who knows what could happen say for Spain a United States um, a Germany on their day like it's something to bear in mind for uh, the next coming uh, games and that yeah, I, I completely agree. And I want to, like, there's all the negatives, but I do want to mention the positives because this game did have quite a few of them. I thought, I thought Fran Kirby's performance was very good when she played. She got a goal in her, it was her first start since October last year. And, you know, huge moment for her given everything she's been through. Yeah. I mean, when she's fully fit and, uh, playing football she's one of the best midfielders England have at their disposal she's such a quality quality player and it's actually a joy to watch her play like you said she's had her troubles with injuries and that um but yeah fantastic to see her back in the lineup for the first time in over a year and getting that goal just all the emotions that must be going through her at that time it's just absolutely uh unbelievable and yeah Hopefully she can stay fit for as long as possible now. The small part of me now that wishes I'd gone for her an outside bit for WSL player of the season. <laughs> Just because, like, because she's, she's getting there now. I think like, it's slowly coming together for her. Mm, I mean, is a possible shout, but then again, I'm, I look at Chelsea's depth, I'm like, is she going to get enough regular minutes? To potentially get that, well, like, let's be honest, it could be any of them. <laughs> it yeah. could be so many options in that Chelsea team where you'd say, "Oh, they maybe get awarded it," but that's that's to talk about at the end of the season. Uh, other players I yeah. thought putting a good show in Kira Walsh, even though maybe defensively it didn't show as well. Thought she was very good going forward. It was her best at times, as it was mm-hmm. for Lauren Hemp, Lucy Bronze as well. Yeah, I mean. Going forth has never been, a, and I don't think it will be a problem for England. They've got talent there and uh, are able to show it, but it's defensively. And I mean, for Kira Raw, she's only just coming back to full fitness after her uh, injury that kept her out of the last international break. Um, so I'm not too worried about Kira Raw. She'll get there slowly, back to her best. Uh, but yeah, again, in an attacking sense, uh, shows why she's one of the best. Uh, midfielders in world football uh, but just a little bit more on the game obviously bad start for England going behind after the first nine minutes Laura Deneve uh, scoring for them 
Mary Earps, though, goalkeeping in, has to be questioned here. Yes, when you, it does get pointed out that she, maybe it looks like she leaves it. Mm. Like it becomes a bit obvious to to go for, for her in that moment. But I thought the free kick was very good as well. The technique from Deneve, I thought, was pretty good. Yeah, very good. Um, you could say maybe that is a bit of a ghost goal for Mary Epps, as she seemed to think it was going to go wide. Look, look, but look, look. This podcast goes out the 2nd November. You should be making Guy Fawkes puns at this point, rather than Halloween. I mean, I can't think of any firework-related jokes. The fireworks certainly uh, going off in the dressing room, the Belgium dressing room. <laughs> oh, yes. Uh, England then obviously had a big worry uh, at the half-hour mark with Alex Greenwood having to be stretched off after a head injury. She was down for a really long time and it was uh, worrying signs for uh, her and that whole situation wasn't pleasant to see. No, but uh, thankfully in the aftermath, it appears it's not as serious as it then looked on the field. She was apparently walking round afterwards, which, which mm. the first one you hear is like, what? <laughs> How does that happen then? <laughs> she went off on a stretcher and it looked very serious and yeah, thankfully it's not the worst news, but of course we probably shouldn't expect to, to see her playing in the next few weeks. Yeah, concussion protocol, usually 10 to 14 days they'll be in that before seeing her back. But like you said, positive note that she was able to walk about and communicate in with everyone uh, in the dressing room after that. Um, though Lucy Bronze did pull one back before Frank Kirby got her goal uh, to draw England level. Good header from Bronze, uh, good set piece from Chloe Kelly as well. Yeah, I thought that was, but Tessa Woolock is the name. It has come out as the hero in this she brought the game level in the first half. It was a very good counter-attack, I thought, from Belgium, which they were a threat from for yeah. most of the matches. We said England just being open to that. And then the winner towards the end, Tessa Wallart scoring from the penalty spot. It was a it was a bit unfortunate handball for Georgia Stanway. There's not a lot she could have done about it, but she also can't really complain either. No, definitely not. Um I mean, a lot of these England players should know Tessa Wallop from her time uh, at Manchester City a couple of years back. She was there for two years spell um, between 2018 and 2020. And then she's continued to do uh, well since then, going on to Anderlecht and uh, now currently at Fortuna Sittard in uh, the Netherlands, where she's absolutely rampant up top for them. But yeah, uh, really annoying for England in that sense. They would have hoped to have uh, managed to take oh, even at least a point just to give them a bit of an easier chance when it comes to these last two games in uh, December. But now it is, like we've said, absolute must-win games. Uh, and it's going to be very hard. It's first up for them, it will be uh, the Netherlands on the 1st of December at Wembley. And then a few days later, they travel to... Uh, Hamden Park to take on Scotland in that final Nations League match. Yeah, there's a time that England have to now refine that ruthlessness. It's it's mm. those two games that they have no choice now. They have to be clinical. Yeah, I mean, it's 
going to be interesting to see like what does uh, Serena do with um, selection for that? Uh, does she keep the squad the same? If Beth Mead's firing again, does she get called back for them international games? Um, do you start bringing some of the youngsters through, like uh, give Grace Clinton an opportunity? Um, May Letizia, does she deserve a call-up? Like, There's so many questions in that sense that if they're playing well enough at club level, you've surely got to go, well, they've got to get a look in sooner or later, don't they? Yeah, look, I don't want to Gareth Southgate all this, but <laughs> it does start coming to a point where you go, these players are doing very well, and I'd like to see them given the opportunity. But at the same time, with Serena Wiegmann, I understand it a bit more. Like she has, mm. she has her favourites, and more times than not, those players will show up and they will put in great performances. Mm. So I, I, I do, I understand it, and I think maybe in massive games against a good team like the Netherlands and then one that's going to be massively important against Scotland, even if there isn't much on the line, because it's it's Scotland, there's a rivalry there. I, yeah. I don't see it being one that she puts in anyone near. No, I think it will probably be yeah, into the new year that we see some new players come through. Like, like I said, uh, Letizia, Clinton, um, Jess Park getting some more game time. Like, that's the ex- uh, expected changes I'm thinking of in the next uh, coming international breaks after the December one. Um, just a final look at England's group. Um, Netherlands are currently top on nine points. Belgium in second with seven. England in third with six. And Scotland are bottom of the group with uh, one point. Uh, just a quick final uh, roundup on some of the international breaks. Uh, I know Republic of Ireland, they have been promoted from League B up to League uh, A from next Nations League uh, after they managed to beat Albania 1-0 in possibly the worst conditions I've ever seen a football match played in. Yeah, what the hell? I know even that you know they cleared it. That's such a massive injury risk. Yeah. I mean, if anything... Thankfully, they all came through it. (laughs) That's good news in the end, but that was a risk. I wouldn't be surprised if any of their island players are rolled out this weekend because they've felt ill because of the rain. Like, it was torrential rain. A huge batch of pneumonia starts going in. And you know, if it's Katie McCabe, it then gets passed on and Arsenal end up going having, having like a, a pneumonia outbreak. Yeah, it's... I mean, after ACL outbreak last year, you don't want uh, another breakthrough uh, at this team. Definitely not. That's not what they're for currently. <laughs> exactly. Um, and just a word on the top scorer, because I saw uh, UEFA put that out at this minute in time, and I posted it on our social media pages. So you can check them out, both Twitter and Instagram, Women's Football Talk. Uh, Hayley Begaya of Malta and Inter Milan is the top goal scorer of the tournament with uh, all the whole uh, name. League with eight goals and she managed to bag a hat-trick yesterday as Malta beat Andorra by three goals to nil. A player I am very high on um, was recently over in the NWSL with the Orlando Pride, didn't get much of a chance but uh, I think it's one in the next year we'll see her name crop up a lot more 
and uh, it wouldn't be surprising within the year, next year or two if she gets that big move. Yeah, and I think this is one of the the, the positives of the Nations League. It's giving those nations that maybe have less quality the chance to really shine. Yeah, what was the mm-hmm. moment you tweeted again? It was it was uh, Latvia. That yeah, Moldova versus. Like a... I'll let you go. You know the story better than me. Yeah, so Moldova played Latvia. Uh, it was a game where there was many cards pulled out. I mean, in the first half, both sides had two yellow cards. Uh, Moldova were leaving, uh, leading at halftime 1-0. And then within five minutes of the restart, uh, Latvia equalised, but that only lasted a couple of minutes uh, before Moldova retook the lead. And then... With 15 minutes left, Latvia were down to 10 players after Sofia Garanica was sent off. Then Moldova made it 3-1 with 12 minutes to go. However, they also had a player sent off in the last 10 minutes after Daniela Madari picked up her second yellow card. And then, just to top it off, in stoppage time, Latvia get a penalty and Karolina Mixon scores it. And then in the seventh minute of added time, Sandra Voitan scores to make it 3-3. So it was a boring game. (laughs) 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 Who says the international break's boring? (laughs) That one's incredible. And the fact that uh, Moldova are bottom of their group with one point, that was their first point was that game yesterday. It's just ridiculous. (laughs) That's, that's amazing. Uh, yeah. I think that's all, really, the international debrief. Not much else to cover in that regard. We await the next one. It's December. What is that? Start oh, December. I think I'm wrong. A month away. Oh, no, I'm right. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. Exactly okay. a month away. Yeah, so uh, moving on, there's been two of the pretty big talking points this week. I want to start on the Ballon d'Or because, as expected, Barcelona midfielder Aitana Badmati was crowned the best women's football player. I don't think anyone could disagree with that one. No. I mean, I think pretty much from June this year, we knew she was going to win it because like, she just had a phenomenal season. I think it was early, with... bit earlier than June. Think yeah. about it. Had such a phenomenal uh, season with Barcelona. Uh, and then obviously helping to lead Spain to World Cup glory uh, earlier on in the summer as well, where she managed to bag herself three goals. It's just, yeah, absolutely unsurprising whatsoever to see uh, Bon Matty take that trophy home. Yeah, but all the success she's had individually and with the teams as well, it's definitely deserved. I don't have many thoughts, if I'm honest, on everything that was mentioned afterwards. It was Djokovic that got to present her with the Ballon d'Or. I don't know if you saw all that, because he's had a he's had a few views when it comes to equal pay and all that. And like, never Djokovic, I, I dislike him in general. <laughs> like, I don't, yeah. It doesn't matter what he says, I'll just dislike the guy for enough for his uh, vaccine beliefs. Mm, he's a very strange man, and uh, I don't know why they got him to do it. Like, the men's Ballon d'Or was presented by was it who who ended up presenting it in the end to Messi? It was Beckham. Oh yeah, he his owner. What a surprise. The man that brought him <laughs> to Miami. His yeah. current boss. Uh mm. which is Phil Neville. 
Yeah, the whole that whole ceremony was just I don't know. I didn't watch it. I just saw the clips, but yeah, strange moments. I don't know if it was just speed being there, <laughs> just interacting with everyone. It was all weird, but yeah, yeah. just nice to say hey, that Aston Villa have the best goalkeeper in the world still. Women, uh, men's. Let's just say that. Yeah, men's. Men's, like, I mean, technically, we have the thirtieth best women's player in the world as well, as well as the fifteenth. Man United have the fifth uh, best player and the best goalkeeper in terms of ranking, and I want to say top twenty for Hinata Miyazawa. I can't remember where she I finished. I don't remember the women's list, if I'm honest. I could, I could probably try and get it, but I don't recall. <laughs> Much of it. I had it in the, um, I had it in the article we did. The top five oh. off the top of my head, either. Uh, Sam Kerr came second. Um, yeah, yeah. Mary Oates was fifth. I think Fridolina Rolfo was in there as well. Miyazawa was 12th in the list. So the top three was Bon Matti, Sam Kerr, and then Salma Paralawaya getting. That's all right. Yeah, I mean, she had such a good World Cup with uh, Spain, and then uh, again, what she was able to do with Barcelona during the season is incredible. Also, Sam Kerr really is getting ever so closer now to winning this. I mean, I think this is like the second or third time she's finished runners up. I think I've seen this mentioned somewhere, but I'm trying to think how they've worked this out. I think Chelsea have got to win the Champions League, it's their only way. Yeah, I think well, that's the only trophy that's missing off her club resume in uh, Europe. Uh, and maybe if Australia get gold medal at the uh, Olympics next year, that could also yeah. help. Her. Like it's, it's yeah, it's success outside of the WSL, isn't it? That's yeah. the only thing that you think maybe is avoiding it. I have to. Make an apologies as well because I've completely underestimated Rachel Daly. She didn't get fifteenth; she got tenth actually. So we've got the tenth best women's player in, in in the world. Yes. Uh, if you want to check out the full thirtieth to first rankings, uh, head over to womensfootballtalk.substack.com where we had an article out um, talking, showing the uh, positioning of the thirty players uh, and where they finished. Something very funny about Millie Bright being 11th as well, considering her and Daly are obviously very good mates. Inseparable at times. <laughs> yeah. And I kind of have to bring the news down slightly because I have to mention the name Luis Rubiales in this podcast. Uh, it was confirmed this week he has been banned from all footballing activities for three years. Thank God. Some sense. Yes. <laughs> Has come from this. It's something that definitely needed to happen. A good outcome, but still it should have been longer. Back... Yeah, I guess. And there's also in the back of your mind thinking, oh, like when those three years are all, surely doesn't come back, right? <laughs> surely they've we've moved on since then. But yeah. the overall picture in my mind is that in this something that shouldn't ever be forgotten. It's that systemic change within the RFEF has to happen. And it has to benefit female footballers just so they feel like they're equal and that they're being treated as such. A hundred percent agree with you. Um, and the fact that he's also planning on uh, appealing as well, it's just so, so 
like what for it there's only so much that can be said given it's under criminal investigation as well so it's yeah it's one of them things you have to walk the tightrope a little bit mm. i mean the fact i think three years is the minimum it uh, should have been i think it definitely should have been uh banned for life from all footballing activities because that kind of stuff isn't acceptable and it just brings down a hard knock that uh from fifa that anyone else that tries to do this or get away with stuff like that they will also be banned from football for ever yeah uh what a move on from it to be honest i mm. just get sick of talking about the guy like, <laughs> like we, we hadn't seen anything for ages and it felt like oh it'll be a while before we hear anything and then it comes out it's like oh god here we go again yeah. The international break as well. He couldn't just let us have that. <laughs> no, just fuck off, you prick. <laughs> just leave us alone. Please. Yeah. Uh, uh, I want to bring what to all positive stuff just for the last bit of news because Brighton Hove Albion confirmed something. Well, hell, I don't think they've confirmed it, but news has come out that they're planning to have their own stadium purposely built for their women's team in the near future. Yeah, I mean, uh, currently play uh, at the Chigwell Construction Stadium, which is uh, shared with You've got it mixed up? Have you? I, I think the Chigwell Construction's West Ham. Sorry, Broadfield Stadium, which is still yeah. played by Crawley <laughs> Town. Um, Look, it's only yeah, 20 so, miles away. <laughs> it doesn't much. Uh, but yeah, having their own women's... Uh, specific stadium it's absolutely fantastic to see don't know like obviously it's the very early stages of news yet um probably something that might take until 2027 2028 for it to be fully done and set in stone but yeah fantastic to see um hopefully obviously it's closer to uh brighton and like the Amex in general, so fans that go to the Amex regularly can also go to whatever that stadium may be. Um, like, you said, well, it's going to be the first of its kind in English football. Whilst technically Chelsea have uh, Kings Meadow, that wasn't their initial designated home. That was for AFC Wimbledon and uh, the likes of Manchester City and Manchester United. They share with uh, the academy teams. Yeah, and. Um... I didn't know how to lead into the next bit then because we're talking future projects. Let's talk about future expansions because we said last week we were going to delve into the topic of the WSL expansion and we're going to try and do that now, or at least you're going to try and do that because you've, you're the one who's got more of the notes for this, <laughs> if I'm being honest. Yeah. I mean, it's more in my head. But, uh, the idea around WSL expansion for me is that this is inevitable. Oh yeah, I 100% agree. I mean, for, so where it stemmed from recently was uh, Emma Hayes was asked about it, uh, whether she would support expansion and ha- would that help uh, with the growth of the uh, league? And um, she said, uh, I think the question we should be asking is when are we going to make our league a bit bigger it's time to go it's time to go from 12 teams to 16 or 18 teams uh, and i i 100% agree with that like i think gone are the days now of a 12 team league it should be looking to expand um i think keep the promotion and relegation personally i wouldn't go in the style of the 
NWSL in America where it's just uh, no relegation because then that diminishes the Barclays Women's Championship and the leagues below knowing that they can't go anywhere. So I think I'd still have uh, that option available to them, but just have more teams and whether that means you increase the number of teams that go down to two or three teams, what have you, I think it's definitely something that needs to be looked at and I think with the growth of the women's game that we've seen over the last 12 months, like you say, it is inevitable. I think within the next decade, we'll see an expansion come. Yeah, and I think it's safe to say a lot of that idea is more at the forefront now because of it's the new car that's being discussed. It's this new, what's the word for it? They're a new independent company that apparently now will oversee the WSL and the championship. They're going to take that from the FA pretty much, yeah. if I've read that right. That's something that's yeah. probably look, being looked at the next season. We still don't know as much, I don't think, on that day. Mm. The the plans have sort of been unveiled. It was they, they want the league structure to be worth a billion pounds come yeah. the future. In the next 10 pretty years. Much, yeah, they want it to reach the heights of the, the Premier League, pretty much. Yeah. That's, that's, that's the main gist of it. Mm. I think what also needs to happen, though, is a way where we're not having, say, like the same three, four teams running away, but it gives some sort of way of there being more competition uh, to it. Because obviously you can say if automatically if it was to come in place for next season, have uh, jump up, what, four teams to 16 teams, than say the current top four of the championship, I don't know off the top of my head, but say if it was Birmingham, Southampton, Crystal Palace and Blackburn were to come up, then there's obviously the golfing difference between them four teams and the top four of the WSL, so Man United, Arsenal, Chelsea and Man City from last season. So it, there needs to be some sort of way or like investment where they can make their teams WSL quality at least. It doesn't have to be title winning quality straight away, but on par with like the rest of the WSL teams because we've seen it with Bristol City so far this season. The difference between the championship to the WSL is uh, massive and it's something that needs to be bridged uh, before we can start talking about expansion in that sense. Yeah, that gap feels a lot bigger. If we're talking about Bristol City, for example, they just look like they haven't. They're not able to compete or all the arsenal match was the closest they got but i don't know what happened we don't really know what happened with that one it was just a, almost you don't want to say it was an anomaly of a performance but it felt like a one-off in a way yeah well the, the, one of the important parts of expansion is this has to benefit those in the lower leagues as well but you can't just yeah. rip it all up and start again you have to look at those teams and think right how does this benefit them? Does any money coming from the WSL and the championship go down to that level as well so that they can grow? And a lot more of those teams can start being professional as well. Yeah, it's definitely something that uh, I think has to be at the forefront of the conversation because whilst you can grow the WSL and the championship, it doesn't then grow the Women's National League and the divisions below that. Like it's That has to be, I think... Talking point number one for expansion and improvement 
makes is the investment that is going back into the lower leagues so that uh, they can grow as a unity rather than uh, singulars. Yeah, and with that, I guess now is an interesting point we go to is how would we try and expand the WSL? I don't know if you wanted to start. I just had the basics down, if I'm honest. So my idea was 16 teams in the WSL and then 16 in the championship. Like I don't know how we... I think the way I'd figured it, I'll start from the, the WSL, the season before we start the full expansion, you still do the one team that gets relegated. So then it's right. the, the team that goes up as normal and then three other teams go with it. In okay, my mind, you... if I, the team that goes down and then it's the top three from the championship that season automatically go up. Mm-hmm. Then, of course, there's still one spot. So then in my mind, for a bit of fun, a bit of vibes, fourth plays fifth in the championship. The winner gets the last spot. Okay, so a bit like um, in the men's game when they have the playoffs. So like the top two in the championship automatically go up. and it's then the one-leg game. Seat, I don't want no two-leg stuff I, I want this one game done neutral okay. venue get yeah. like get both teams to get bring a good number of fans to the stadium that's obviously easily accessible for both sets of supporters yeah for me i would rule out wembley i don't like yeah, yes no, it has no, it, it wouldn't it wouldn't be that i don't think you could i want it to be sold out ideally i want it to be a place where you can closely get a decent sized attendance mm, i mean you look at baseball's village anyone if it was two northern teams, maybe. Yeah, um, maybe Villa Park, if it was a north and a southern team. See, I, don't, uh, I can't see the stadium being allowed. In that, I'm trying to be re- sort of realistic with it. I don't think a massive stadium in that regard would would get that. The Emirates, though, cause it, I'd I mean, like to, at... just, I would love that to happen. <laughs> yeah. I have to be somewhat realistic. I'm just trying to think off the top of my head what stadiums would be used. Obviously, like you say, Lease Horse Village for a Northern-based one. Um, Kings Meadow, I think that would sell out. Yeah. I'm trying to be 10,000 um, seaters. Ashton Gate. Like, we're talking Ashton Gate. That could be okay, I think. Yeah. King Power. Um, King Power Stadium. Yeah. Also a very, very good shout not the, the massive grounds you could wish for that, but I think more the mid the mid tier stadiums or the small tier that it could just fit enough in. Like I mm. think that's a good show. There was a small part of me when I was caught up with is like hmm, maybe if I wanted to, to be really dark humoured with it, how about the team that gets relegated from the WSL faces fourth and it's like that relegation playoff style. Oh. Bit like they do in or did in Germany. I don't know whether they still yeah. do it. I think the men's side they still do. I don't know about the women's, but I, I just thought oh, actually it's kind of unfair because if you've come down, you don't deserve to be in that new season in my mind. Agreed. And the gap level probably between 12th in the WSL and fourth of the championship it's probably is a bit of a gap. Yeah, definitely is. That, that, uh, that's just the foundation. I was trying to think how you would do the, the national 
league from that. But in my mind, I think it worked out as three would have to get promoted from the north and south. So like if it was say, still the, the current the one, if, if it was still the current setup of the championship where two get relegated. Mm. I think personally, I'd agree with uh, it being a 16 team tier. Uh, and I agree with, with I'd say the, uh, the whole setup of like how you'd get promoted to the champion uh, to the WSL with them four teams, um, and then like you say, the first season it'd be one go down, and then I think it would have three go down uh, in the WSL. So like 16, 14, 15, and sixteen would be my relegated. I'd have up it from more than one team being relegated each season because realistically, yeah, three that go then, down. It then keeps changing things every season. You get more chances of new teams from the championship coming up and potentially the lower leagues. Uh, and it doesn't just keep it the same because let's be realistic. If, I don't know, uh, it would more likely with your way, it'd just be one of them for three or four championship teams that would be uh, in amongst the relegation scrap at the time. That's what my thinking would be behind it. So if you have free relegation spots you're then uh opening it to a wider chance of m- more new teams getting promoted into the wsl is there not still a risk though that maybe it's the same teams that come up and down there in that case but i guess that would be the same with if it was two as well yeah it's just one um, of the things the teams have to find a way to grow in that regard yeah. i guess yeah and definitely like we said with the investment is the key thing in that uh structure um i agree with the i think in terms of like the national league and the other leagues again i think not so much overall expansion but just make have more options for promotion and relegation open for them into the uh championship and uh, if you're coming from the north and south into the national league itself um because obviously and then have it again, like you say, at a neutral stadium, like a player final, if it's needed for uh, that third spot. It just opens up to a better experience and more money can be put in that way. More playoffs. Yeah. Just more stakes. <laughs> it makes it more fun for the viewer. And I think another thing I would change, um, not WSL related, but it's like the Conti Cup. And that is work, doesn't it? Yeah, like it because at this minute in time, we've got Manchester United who not played a game yet because obviously they've uh, missed out on the Champions League, but have gone into Group B. Chelsea would go into it if they get uh, at the quarterfinal stages, regardless. And I, it, it, I don't like the whole league format of it. Like, I'd rather it be either a cup competition like uh, the FA Cup is or have it as one big league and then you have a winner come out on top of that so like a mini WSL type thing yeah because I know one of the points of expansion I think just for that is more games will come of this and Mm -hmm. in turn with that more games means less times where we're going oh you've lost two games and now you're not going to be in the title race. Like, it adds a bit more drama to the whole season. But, of course, mm. well, if you add more games, the current format of the Conti Cup means that you probably have to reduce the amount of fixtures you do with that. So having it just as a normal Cup-style format probably is 
something that would benefit you. Yeah, and the fact that it's only, I mean, I know the National League and the others have uh, a league cup themselves that they're going to, but I think that should also, it should, it shouldn't just be closed off to the championship and the WSL, like give the chance for, as I say, a Newcastle United or a Billy Ricky Town to have the potential of facing Chelsea. Like, that make it some... or the FA Cup, it's, it's not hard. Yeah, it just gives more um, opportunities. Don't, I'd like it to be a bit different. Like keeps it unique, but I understand mm. if you did just keep it simple. Yeah, I think because it, 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 if you expand it to be quite like an FA Cup style, it then gives more options for uh, the smaller teams to have that greater uh, exposure when they come up against a WSL or a championship side. Yeah, I could, I completely agree in that regard. Uh, they did say how you would format it right yeah because i know you mentioned yeah. the relegations but yeah so i don't really know where else to, to go with this conversation we've pretty much covered some parts of it I mean, there's a whole wider aspect of it but we don't really have the full time for that i think the, the final bit on it is what's going to be key um is this next tv package deal because that could help shape how the wsl looks in the future because uh, that currently the well, Sky Sports deal currently runs out at the end of this season. Uh, so I think how this next TV package, like how much money are these companies willing to pump into the WSL, that would then allow for a greater expansion and easier expansion to it. Because if you've got, I don't know, say Sky and TNT or TNT solely have all the games or the TNT and the F- player all the games like i think this next tv deal is going to be crucial in terms of the growth of the league yeah like if you remember when the premier league got that, that massive billion pounds worth of tv deals it just takes the league to another level i think that's what the wsl will hopefully be trying to get like, i don't know anything about how tv rights uh organized but usually you start hearing something and yet yeah, we've heard nothing really this time. I'm, I'm just going out there making a bold prediction because I know nothing. <laughs> Let's be honest. I'm just little prediction. Is it weird that the zone are getting all the league, the uh, the European leagues? Uh, no, I feel like it was kind of expected. I think when we saw them coming for the Champions League, the Women's Champions League, this is. Um, I had a feeling that the knock-on effect would be some of the other leagues would be sold to them so that they have uh, rights to show it. I, I mean, I, I completely forgot about them and the potential uh, rights because that, to show That was it. my point, is like they've gone, they've gotten, they've had the Champions League for a long time and that's becoming a bit more pay-to-view now, obviously, this season. Yeah. They have, a couple of weeks they have on. the, yeah, they have, the D one are Kemmer in France. Mm-hmm. They've had the Fram Bundesliga for a while. They've had the Ligue F for a while in Spain, and they have Italy as well. Yeah. Am I right in that they have Italy? So they've got the main ones. Yes. Are they going to add yeah, the WSL to their to their portfolio now? Establish themselves as the home of women's football. Mm. Like. There is that. Um, obviously, over the coming weeks, uh, we'll have an article coming out on the whole TV package deal and 
our own little personal thoughts on it. Um, but yeah, that's definitely uh, a lot to think about um, in terms of how that will affect the expansion of the leagues over the uh, coming years. Yeah, because it feels like zone as well. They've, they've really made a play for for football a bit more. It feels like mm-hmm. football itself is a sport that doesn't matter the gender who plays. It's drifting more towards the streaming option rather yeah. than the usual traditional TV model. Well, if Dazona listen to this and they want to buy the WSL rights and have us on it, then we'll have to go. <laughs> Do you just want to buy women's football talk? Like, <laughs> yeah. Wherever the football goes, we'll go. I've not got any complaints about Dazone. Decent platform. Yeah. Not sponsored. <laughs> Uh, right, let's finish off uh, this week's podcast yeah. with a look at the weekend's fixtures in the WSL. Yeah, oh, God. <laughs> uh, so, first things first, Saturday lunchtime, we have Aston Villa versus uh, Chelsea from the Bescott Stadium. Aston Villa searching for their first points of the season after suffering four straight defeats. Um, as a time of recording, we haven't had any team news on uh, how Kenza Darley has progressed. Uh, Kirsty Hansen, I believe, has now served her three-game suspension, so it is available for uh, this game. Um, but, I mean, the way Chelsea played last time against Brighton, you would be very fearful for Villa. Telling me. <laughs> uh, yeah, although it's, it's interesting when we've played Chelsea in recent years, we've given them a bit of a game. If you remember last season we played them we definitely did okay against them even if we didn't come away with a result form would say this time that that's not going to change but no i will be satisfied coming out of this game if they have at least shown an improvement in performances yeah there's something that needs to change pretty quick for carla walk side otherwise it could end up being a very long season yeah something tells me i wouldn't be surprised if we have the same sort of performance as we did against Arsenal. Like, mm. I would expect us to be very defensive, put in the low block, put bodies behind the ball to stop Chelsea scoring. Well, Harry was in the FA Cup a little bit last season at times. Yeah. Although, for what I remember, that one actually, we were quite on the front foot for a lot of it. That's not going to happen this time. I'd be very surprised if that happened. Like... Are Chelsea going to be more willing to be on the ball? It, it remains to be seen. Mm, the, uh, I'm expecting them to be very clinical in this one if Villa are still making the same defensive mistakes and judgment uh, that needs to be questioned in terms of like what is the best uh, lineup. It's game management as well. If it's somehow the, the level come the 70th minute, how then do Villa? see the game out. Chelsea's depth is going to be too good to deal with in a way. Mm. You've just got to try and find a way to hold on. Yeah, definitely. Uh, on to Sunday's games now. Um, uh, the lunchtime kickoff is Arsenal versus Manchester City uh, from Meadow Park on the BBC. Uh, Manchester City absolutely flying out the gates this season. Ten points from their four games, sitting at the top of the tree. Uh, Tough game last time for them against Leicester City, winning 1-0. Chloe Kelly with the uh, only goal in that game, whilst 
uh, for Arsenal last time out. They managed to beat Bristol City by two goals to one. Caden McCabe scoring both the goals there. And um, obviously Vivian Miedema was uh, welcomed back to the uh, team. Yeah, she did do a lot given she was only on the field for a couple of minutes. So you'd expect maybe she gets a few more in this one, depending yeah. on how the game is obviously going. But I'm very, I'm very excited for this one. Arsenal know they need a result if they are to really be in any sort of title race this season. Manchester yeah. City have to go into this thinking, right, we should win. Like We absolutely yeah. should go and uh, get a win. Really stamp our authority on the game. Yeah, and if they win this, then uh, they're 100% real title challengers. They're not some sort of pretenders. Yeah, I don't think they're pretenders anyway. Like I rated them in the summer. I just oh, yeah. think maybe some people overlooked the fact that, okay, they didn't sign many players, but also the squad is the... It, they, they don't need to settle in as much as other teams. Yeah. They've, they've got their squad ready. It's just a case of mm. hitting the ground running. Yeah, I think for many it was just Gareth Taylor and how he looked at times. Only one guy's going to stop this Man City team doing really well, and that's Gareth Taylor. Yes, definitely. Uh, a quick look through the rest of the fixtures. Uh, so we've got two games kicking off at two o'clock. You've got Liverpool versus Leicester City and Tottenham versus Everton. Uh, and then at 3pm we have West Ham versus Bristol City. Bristol City, like Aston Villa, hoping to get their first points of the season. And this would be a perfect opportunity for them to uh, pick up at least a point in this one. Because if they walk away with a point, then that could help kick start uh, their season. And then to round off the weekend in the WSL, it is Brighton and Hove Albion versus Manchester United at quarter to seven. A couple of returns for Brighton players against Manchester United. That one. Sophie Bagley and Maria Thorstatia. And then Mayor Letizia in the opposite camp as well. Yeah, should be. I think that should be a good one. Actually, it'll be yeah. interesting to see how Brighton try and deal with Manchester United. Mm-hmm, definitely agree. Um, also, before we finish, in the NWSL over in the States this weekend, it is the semi-finals taking place uh, Sunday night into Monday morning. Uh, first up, it is the Portland Thorns versus Gotham FC from Portland. And then... Uh, at half past two Monday mornings, uh, if you're in England, it is the San Diego Wave versus OL Rain from the Snapdragon Stadium in San Diego. So very uh, good action on the way over in the States this weekend, and I cannot wait to watch those games. Yeah, they're, they're getting intriguing. Oh, mm-hmm. the end. I forgot about this. It just counts on one because I don't think we've done a podcast since it happened. The NWSL's new trophy. Oh my god! Beautiful. Yes, that's what I'm talking about. Women's football. Get yes, your trophies in order. Yes, more trophies like that, please. Yeah, like I'm, I'm all for a complete change of all the trophies in the women's game. The WSL Champions one, League one's not too bad. But... No, that's no, probably the uh, exception. I'll just make it bigger. <laughs> That's all I'd do. I'd make it a little bit bigger. Mm. But the WSL one, get in the bin. Get in the bin. I'm not having it. Yeah. Yeah. Any trophy yeah. that you can hold in one hand, instantly terrible. Yeah. Okay, I need. Like, just, just, 
two hands, put some handles on it, make it a little bit bigger. Put a you crown on it. it. I would say make it all the Premier League, but like get close at least. Yeah, just give your own take on it, but just still better and bigger. Yeah, I like. And going back to the end of WSL one, they, like, it's funny that they unveiled that after the. Did you see the, the shield presenting ceremony to San Diego yeah, Wave? Yeah, yeah. Like, we didn't mention that at the time. Oh my God. Like, because I hadn't seen the clip until later. It was like, oh, this is sad. <laughs> this is sad. They're the best it team like, of that season. I mean, it just looks like a dinner plate that you eat off that. Like, well, I mean, that, that's not the trophy. <laughs> that's the yeah. trophy. It's so bad, but then within 24 hours, it's the like, end of the It's draft. a shield, right? Like, it's a shield, but it's not like Bundesliga shield, is it? Mm. <laughs> or the, is the Eredivisie shield? Like, that's yeah, decent one. But, like, most shield trophies don't look good, let's be honest. No, just give us a trophy with handles. Not free handles like the Carabao Cup, because I hate that trophy. Just two-handed, big show-off. I can't say or, that as a Manchester United fan. It's the last trophy you've won in a decent time. It's still a shit-looking trophy. Or just go. I can't say that as a Villa fan. I have too many good memories of it. Go big like the Larry O'Brien in the NBA or the Super Bowl trophy. Yeah, you know, more and more, like you can hold the Super Bowl in one hand. <laughs> does that make? Does I mean, that mean it sucks? No, because it's quite heavy and it's. Actually, really nice. Oh, I don't know. I've never touched it. Uh, I've had a picture with it. Anyway, we're rattling on. Um, that's it for this week's podcast. We'll be back next week to have a look back at all the talking points in the WSL and from around the world of women's football. In the meantime, make sure you like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from, and that you're following us on Twitter and Instagram Women's Football Talk on both, and make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel as well, and uh, you are subscribed to our uh, website, womensfootballtalk.substack.com, for all the latest articles. Until next time, we'll see you soon.